0: We're going to be in Ephesians 5, 1 through 7. Uh, we're going to read that passage here in just a second, um, but we're going to do it by having uh, friends from our congregation here uh, read it for us and then we'll pray and we'll study together. Ephesians 5, 1 through 7. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. Ephesians 5, 1-7 Let's pray, friends. Lord God, we submit ourselves to the authority of your holy word in our lives, asking that your spirit would open our eyes and soften our hearts. Show us Jesus, teach us the gospel, and make us your people for the sake of communicating your goodness and your glory. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So as a kid, uh, I wanted to be a fireman, and then I wanted to be evil Knievel, and then I wanted to be Bo and Luke Duke, or Pete Rose, or Pele, or another dozen or so famous sports figures from the Reds, the Dodgers, the Steelers, the Cowboys, or the Lakers, which brings us up to about middle school. In my teens and my early 20s, I wanted to be the cool senior on the high school soccer team, and then I wanted to be the cool senior on the college soccer team, and then, for a pretty radical change of pace, I wanted to be Billy Graham. And then, as an adult, I uh, started out wanting to be a few different uh, favorite obscure theologians, and then a few different favorite, favorite preachers, especially John Piper. And then, after I woke up one day and had that sort of moment of realization that we all eventually have, when we begin to realize how difficult a adult life truly is. And, and that our parents are actual just flesh and blood sinners, I ended up <laughs> sort of settling on being like my mom and dad. And at 47 years old, I feel like I'm also just beginning to understand what it looks like to be me. And, and, and frankly, parenthetically, to be totally honest, I still haven't truly given up in my heart on, on my personal vision of being John Piper, my favorite preacher and writer and pastor-theologian, but I've also learned that I've made such little progress on that in recent years that I suspect I should give up on that one, too. Friends, when you were a kid, who did you want to be? Who's that hero vision in your head for you? A a fireman? Maybe a, a police officer? Maybe a baseball or football or basketball star? Maybe mom or dad, an aunt and uncle, a teacher, maybe a favorite coach or a youth pastor. Who became for you the picture in your head for who you wanted to be when you grew up? Your hero. You got that person in mind? You got that picture, that personal vision for who that hero was when you were a kid? All right, I want you to keep that in your back pocket for just a a little bit. We'll take that back out in a bit. They say that imitation is the highest form of flattery. I think a better way to say it is that we, we imitate others because we admire them and not merely because we envy them. Like, think about it, kids don't imitate their heroes merely because they're trying to fill, it, fill up in themselves something they lack, as if their imitation is rooted ultimately in insecurity. But kids imitate their heroes because they actually want to be like them. Kids actually want to be like their heroes. So who were those heroes that you as a kid held up as a personal vision? Who were those heroes that for you were people you paid attention to, that you tried to imitate, that you were watching a lot? For about 20 years from the early 80s on, you could walk, onto any playground or basketball court anywhere in the entire world. And if there were kids playing basketball there, who did they all want to be? They wanted to be like Mike. They all wanted to be Michael Jordan. Every last one of them wanted to be as amazing as Michael Jordan on the basketball court because he was the king in a way that no one before him had ever been. There's a whole generation of, especially boys watching basketball, but lots of boys and girls as kids watching basketball that watched his moves. They wore his jersey. They wore his shoes. And when they went to the hoop, they wagged their tongue out because that's how Jordan did it. Listen. Jordan was so big and so famous that still to this day, if you're playing ball and you beat your opponent to the hoop for a layup or you pull up off a crossover with a mid-range jumper, you put the cherry on top by holding up your hand and announcing to all, Jordan. He was a global cultural phenomenon. He changed the way kids all around the entire world not only played basketball, but how they talked, how they dressed, and how they thought about themselves. So those heroes for you, who were they? And do you remember as a kid thinking about and dreaming about and watching on TV and and paying attention to those sports figures' moves or mom and dad's way of speaking or that aunt and uncle who you loved and and following them around at Thanksgiving or or Christmas or other times when you are around them? How is it that we grow into who we become. I think in reality, a lot of us have for a long time been imitating those, those visions, those personal visions of the heroes we had and the people we wanted to become and, and imitating them for years. And here's the crazy part of that. Friends, we find a meaning and a purpose in so doing. We've spent a lot of time and paid a lot of attention and, and even given money to these visions of the heroes we were trying to become, imitating them over the years. And it doesn't just stop when we become adults. So how does this dynamic work for us and Why does Paul talk about imitation here? Now in Ephesians 5, 1 through 7, Paul gives us a very simple three-word formula. It's simple because it's three words, but it's profound. It's even surprising for how it's a formula for a life of joy and purpose that is rooted in the imitation of God in Jesus that will change how we talk and act and define ourselves. And the three-word formula is to walk in love. Jump in with me, starting in verse 1. It says this. Therefore, meaning, because you have every spiritual blessing in Christ, and you've been made into a new creature, and you have the power of God, and you're being built into a place where God dwells by his spirit, and those aren't just theoretical pie-in-the-sky ideas, that save but because it's the perfect and sinless life of jesus the son who actually and truly for real and finally makes up for your sin and who gives you all the blessing goodness grace mercy love righteousness and perfection that you need to be counted righteous in jesus in other words because of all that stuff that he's been talking about in the first four chapters of ephesians that we have in jesus therefore be imitators of God as beloved as beloved children. Because in Jesus, we have everything needed for salvation and forever relationship with God in actuality and not just in theory. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Two things there. First, be an imitator of God. What's Paul saying here? Is it as simple as just like emulating the goodness of God? Is it is it as easy as just doing what Jesus would have done and saying what he says? Is it really as easy as having a posture of someone who watches and copies and pays attention to and follows in his footsteps? Well, in, in a sense, yes, it's really not much different than the kid who idolizes the sports star. Think about this you watch their moves, you study their behavior, you memorize the statistics, you buy the t shirt, wear the jersey and the shoes, and not only do you take mental notes during the game and watch closely there, you watch the game film over and again to really study and to see what makes them tick. That, The things that make for success. And then you think about and dream about that hero. Kids go to bed falling asleep to dreams of being like Mike while holding a basketball in their arms. Or like weirdos, soccer balls. And as it turns out, once you become an adult, it's not like you just grow out of that you see, friends, we are worshiping beings, giving ourselves our time and attention and our life's resources, our affections to the things we think are worthy of those resources. And that doesn't stop when you become an adult. And, and just because you're older and mature and have experience, perhaps even in Jesus and in the Christian life, being an adult, being an adult doesn't mean you're no longer a child of God. You see, a child of God has a humble posture with who they are and with their time and their life's resources that are submitted to the God who is worthy of those resources. So it it is as simple as childlike submission of your resources to worshiping the God who is worthy and imitating the God who is worth your life's resources and time and attention. So, so even if you're an adult, imitate God. When you're going through your day, Paul says here, walking through your day, imitating God, consider yourself perhaps doing and, and saying what God would do and say in a particular situation or In particular, relationships. Go through your day thinking about the kinds of things that you're doing and the conversations you're having and the ways you're working. And think about doing those things, saying those things in ways that parallel the kid imitating the hero. This is what imitators do, right? It's it's not that complicated. But this imitation comes with uh, some important clarification, which is the second point here in verse one. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitate God as a child, now think about this, who is loved by him. Imitate him like a child imitating a parent because he is your parent. You've been born of him through the spirit. And so when you accept the goodness and the grace of God and Jesus, you're no longer a child of this world, world. you are his. But notice here that it says you're a beloved child. Not just a child, but a beloved child. Friends, this is huge. Paul's exhortation here, his encouragement here to imitate God isn't just some kind of moralistic do what God does command to achieve relationship with him as if you have to be or even can be good enough to have that relationship. This is different. This is imitate God as a child who understands what it means to be loved by him. This is so important. We need to simmer with this amazing truth here we don't imitate God so he will love and he will accept us. You have to stop thinking like that because it's ultimately actually rooted in the false idea that you can imitate God in a way that will in fact earn his love and acceptance. Our failure to live up to God's law, it's, it's the failure to live up to his law that proves that we can't and that he must love us first. Rather, We imitate God because he loves us and he accepts us as his own through Jesus. We imitate God not to be loved, but because we are loved. This is a radically different kind of imitation, friends. It's an imitation of God rooted in understanding what we really have in Jesus. And this is why he says this next in verse 2. He says, be imitators of God, as beloved, as well-loved children. Then he says this, verse 2, before he goes into some practical things in 3 and following. He says, walk in love. Now, this word walk here uh, comes from Jewish tradition, which takes in this idea of what you're doing day by day as you go about your, your journey, interacting with others, speaking with others from moment to moment throughout the day. So he says, go about your day in love. Do these things that look like God, but in a very specific way as Paul qualifies here, in love. Meaning imitate in and from and motivated by a depth of understanding of the love of God that comes from God in Jesus. The Bible tells us that by definition, love is from God. It originates with him. This is so definitional and foundational and radical. that, friends, if something comes from someone that looks and feels and sounds like love, but it isn't motivated by the same stuff that motivated Christ to die on the cross, and it isn't from God as the source, then it isn't actually love. So Paul says, you, child of God, we, as children of God, are to imitate him because we are loved by him and he is our father and he has shown us what love truly is in Jesus. That's the formula. That's the imitation formula. Walk in love. We'll come back to more about what that means toward the end, but for now, Paul is saying, Imitate God like a child and walk in love. Walk in love, keep reading. As Christ loved us in a manner that parallels Christ's love for us as he loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul further gives color and qualification to this walking in love idea by saying that we do so, we walk in love insofar as we are doing that like Christ. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, meaning offering himself up to God the Father as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We call Jesus the lamb because he was that offering and sacrifice. He was the sinless lamb, and it had to be a sinless lamb that was slain, that was killed for us as an act of love in order to make us right with God. Friends, the great lengths to which God went for us in Jesus, those are the kinds of lengths any one of us as parents would go to if we love our children to save them, right? Like that's the lengths to which we would go for those we love. Friends, we were made God's children by the willing sacrifice, think about this, of God's own child. That defines the love that means it comes from God that it's of grace, that it's given when not deserved. And that's the kind of love in which we are to walk, that we are to understand comes from him and is the motivation for our behavior, our speech, our sexual relations. I'll leave that up to you parents to define a little bit later on. Going to have a little bit more of that here soon, just in case, want to forewarn you. (laughs) It's that love that motivates not just our imitation of God, but the way we behave. Now, Paul says here that our affections, our love, our love that motivates that imitation, it takes one of two forms. And this is true of all people, all people for all time. Our affections will take one of either two directions. It will take us in one of either two, uh, one of either two ways, as Paul makes clear here next, in a way that means that all people ultimately settle on imitating God in the person of Jesus, which leads to life and to joy, or to a deceitful and to an empty imitation of someone or something else that leads to death. Everyone, everyone either kind of grows up into, walks into the likeness of Jesus or the likeness of the evil one. Keep reading where he gives us some definition. And it may seem out of place But in the context of Ephesians, it made all the sense in the world to the first Christians in Ephesians to whom Paul was writing. So listen to this contrast. But, verse 3, sexual immorality. Press pause. We'll go faster in just a second here. But that word sexual immorality uh, is the word porneia. And, yes, it is words that you think it means. (laughs) That in the Hebrew conception uh, was, uh, it's a Greek word, but the Hebrew idea, the Jewish idea uh, that became uh, a part of that Greek word porneia, the Hebrew conception is that sexual immorality is everything outside of God's intent. So he says, but sexual immorality, meaning anything outside of God's intent, And all impurity, verse 3, or covetousness, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Anything that comes from our affections going after those things that are not in keeping with one who is called a saint, one who is a child of God, as he says there in verse 3, among saints. Anything that's impure or covetous, uh, it's us wanting things um, that don't take us into Christ-likeness. And, of course, he's talking about this in the context of, of sexuality here, which was a major problem in Ephesus at the time. And so he says, people who are born of God, who are saints, verse 3, do not chase after those things. They don't spend their time looking for and going toward and worshiping and having their affections directed toward those things. Because if they do, then they grow into those things. They end up walking in those things. Friends, we are worshiping beings and we become like the things we worship and the things to which we give our time and attention. So he says in verse 3, But among you, as is proper among saints, none of those things should be going on like that in a way that forms us. So people who are born of God and who know his love and who treasure what we have in Jesus, verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which again are out of place. Those are the kinds of things that that are not proper among saints. Let there not be any of those things because they're out of place. He says, but instead, in contrast, let there be thanksgiving. Which sounds like a weird way to, to end that sentence, doesn't it? He says, let there be thanksgiving for what we have in Jesus that motivates the things we do and the things that come out of our mouths. And that the things that come out of our mouths are in the kind of love we've received in Jesus. They're motivated by and rooted in the grace and the blessing that we have in Jesus for which we are grateful. Instead, let our words communicate thanksgiving. And he says this in verse five, for you may be sure of this. Again, remember, we go into one of two places, Christ's likeness or the evil one. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, all those things like that, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, someone who turns someone or something into an idol, giving time and attention to that person or that thing that it doesn't deserve because it's not worthy, because it's not God. You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no, listen to this, inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Ultimately our behavior proves the fruit of our lives prove whose children we are. And who's our king. And who are what we worship. So he says, you may be sure, the behavior of those who are idolizing evil they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So he says, let no one deceive you, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, all of these things named, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You're a son, you're a child of disobedience. If you, as the fruit of your life, continue to give yourself to, pay attention to, imitate those things that are a part of that vision that you're holding on to that isn't Christ, but that's you. You become a son or a daughter, a child of disobedience when you give your affections and your time and your energies and your money to things that result in these kinds of impure behaviors. Your life, your fruit will prove whose child you are. Paul's making clear here. And he says this, verse 70, he ends up with this. He says, therefore, do not become partners with them. Look at that word partners there. I want you you to notice here at the end of this passage that that Paul uses this word partners in a way that's roughly synonymous with the word imitators in verse 1. He says, imitate God, follow God's example of sacrifice like Jesus. So be imitators in verse one of God, follow God's example of sacrifice like Jesus so that your behavior will prove his love for you and don't be, he says, partners with sons of disobedience as Paul says here in verse seven, which proves on the other side whose they really are. Now, one more thing I want you to notice here in case you missed the point clearly the first time. This is so important for how it changes how we read the text and how we understand ourselves. I want you to see this again in verses 1 and 2. And what I want you to see here is how Paul is using this admonition, this easy but really profound three-word formula walk in love, I want you to see here how he's using this instruction in a way that I know at least I have largely missed most of my Christian life and that I want you to understand for yourself for how it ties into your ultimate joy. Look at just verses 1 and 2 here again. He says this. Therefore, again, because of everything we have in Christ, because of his love for us, because of grace and mercy, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, walk in that love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Friends, this is more than just an exhortation to be like Jesus. This is more than just the sort of moralistic command for us to live up to what we know God demands of us that we can't do this is this is be like Jesus and imitate God not because you can not because you can or or you're able or because you're good enough or because you feel the need to fill up the lack of your personal insecurities but because you deeply and you intimately understand and have experienced the love of God for you as his child for whom he died. So that the joy of your imitation of God is not the good and right behavior that makes you look or feel good or righteous or worthy of God's love or that fulfills a previous vision of achievement or personal worthiness or satisfaction you may still be holding on to. But because imitating God produces the joy, think about this, imitating God produces the joy of knowing you are loved because God is your father. Imitating God and being Christ-like, living in, in purity and holiness that accords with the character and nature of a God who who gave himself for you in Jesus. That kind of love and behavior that comes from who God is through you that imitates him produces the joy of knowing you are loved. So when Paul tells us here to walk in and to to live in and to behave in that love, he is saying that the follower of Christ walks in. In lives from the love that defines the relationship between you and your father which is an unconditional undeserved unattainable by you love that he granted to you in Jesus. It is nothing less than the gracious love of God for you that made possible relationship with him, that motivates how we act, how we live, how we speak. It motivates our truth-telling, our gracious speaking, our life of sexual purity and integrity, our reason for acting with kindness that is noticed by those around us. It's that, it's that kind of life that others see and they notice. And it leaves a sort of a pleasant trail of godliness that shows that you are in fact his child and you are loved by him. This means that we do not walk as if, we, as if we are loving like it's a fakery, but we walk as if genuinely loved. Imitate God like a child who is well loved. This is what it means to walk in love. This is what children do. And you, if you have Jesus, are his child. And you may think you're sort of a, above all this because you're an adult or you're supposedly mature. You've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. Or you've got such a wonderfully strong sense of identity and purpose and who you are and blah, 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 blah. But the simple truth, friends, is that this is the case for all who understand that they are God's loved Children. They want to walk in and from and out of that love because it defines their relationship with him and it becomes their identity. God's love is the truth that motivates their love. First John 4 tells us that love comes from God. It originates from him. And that whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Is that true of your life? Is that true of your speech? The way you interact with people? Your sexual relations? Or, or is there a personal vision for your life that you're still holding on to that's imitating? Things are people that are not worthy of your time and attention. Friends, here's the takeaway question for us to ask ourselves today. What is the personal vision you've been holding on to that's keeping you from experiencing the joy of knowing God's love for you? Friends, don't waste your time and your effort and your money and your attention. Don't waste your affections on a personal vision that will keep you from understanding the depth of God's love for you. Let's pray. Lord, we need to recognize anew the truth that when we died to self, when we went under the waters, of baptism that were a declaration of death to self, that our personal visions of becoming someone other than you've designed us to be likewise died. So, Father, we ask that you would continue to reshape our minds and hearts so that we would be people who. Uh, rise to new life, who are raised to a new life that understands that it is only through the love that you extend to us graciously in Jesus when we didn't deserve it, that we can become people who experience the joy of knowing that you are our Father, that we are your children, that you have made us your own because of your sacrifice for us in Jesus. Lord, that, that is joy forever, in who you are and what you've done, that is good news that we need to preach to ourselves day in, day out, recognizing, Father, that it is okay, it is a good thing for us to die to the personal visions that keep us from understanding the depth of your love for us as our Father. Father, give us courage and strength to continue to step into that amazing truth that we would walk in that love. that the things that that threaten us and speak of things about which we feel like we should be insecure, that, that we could rest in the truth that our security is in you forever. It's not in what others say about us. It's not in what we produce. It's in who you are and what you've done. That's amazing truth, Lord. Help us to live from that truth to imitate you so that we would walk in that love and experience the joy of knowing you as our Father. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray.